be seated for our evening lection. Tonight we continue with the Passion History reading of our Lord's Passion taken from the Gospel of Matthew. This evening we begin with verse 1 of chapter 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that, at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what, what then shall I do with Jesus, who's called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, 
Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Here ends the reading of our Lord's Passion History. I invite you to rise for the reading of the one verse that we will focus on tonight, taken from our gospel reading from Matthew. It is verse 26, so we hear again. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. Something needs to be done about this. Right now, in the hearts of a lot of Minnesota residents and citizens across our country, across our country, there is that sense of feeling regarding a trial that will be taking place up in Minneapolis of a police officer accused of murdering um, uh, someone that he arrested. Something needs to be done about this. People will be paying great attention to this trial, probably all of us in here as well. That sense inside of us that something has to be done, 
doesn't maybe just get directed toward this police officer, maybe, maybe some of the other police officers that have been accused of things, maybe even the victim. There's a, there's a sense of justice inside of us that is watching things like this, especially uh, really well-known trials like this that, that makes us uh, feel a part of it in that sense because it touches something down inside of us right in our own minds and hearts and consciences. There's a spotlight in us that shines out on crime when it takes place in our country in whatever way, shape, or form that that happens. And especially if something is a, a really gross injustice, if, if there's an incident that takes place where, let's say, a child is abused or something horrible happens to some woman or whatever, there's, there's this rage inside of us that just rises up. It's a righteous anger about all of that. And it just says something needs to be done about this. The wildlife in Minnesota, the dogs, the cats, the raccoons, the squirrels, the deers, they don't care, they could care less about this, but human beings, inside of human beings, there is this sense that something has to be done, a sense of justice. It's a, it's a residual effect of the original image of God created in our first parents this, at, in that, at that time before the fall into sin, this perfect knowledge of right and wrong and complete harmony that they had with God which of course was lost, and yet there's a residue of that inside of us that looks out at the world with a spotlight of justice and says something needs to be done about this when we hear about or see things, especially when they rise to such a level of gross injustice. And so inside of each one of us is this tiny little courtroom that is activated whenever we're looking at the world around us and things that happen around us. It's all rooted in this natural law that's just placed inside of our consciences. And inside of each one of us, there's a little judge with a gavel and a bench and a robe who's sitting there looking at the world, looking at things that happen in our life all the time, especially if things happen to us from somebody else, and we're constantly making these little decisions. Something needs to be done about this. Dr. Franz Pieper said this, the conscience is God's tribunal in the heart of man. And this judgment inside of us can take a very intense look at things sometimes. We can study and evaluate things in tremendous detail at times. And we can really spot injustice when it takes place. But that, that same spotlight of injustice that shines out at the world sometimes gets flipped around on us and sometimes comes shining right back on our lives and our hearts and our minds and the things that we've done. And as much as we can firmly condemn things that are out in the world, that intense justice that we have can sometimes do the same thing inside of us as well. After Cain killed his brother, it didn't take long for him to realize he deserved to die for this. He expressed that to God when God comes to address this with him. That spotlight suddenly flipped back on himself. Years ago when I lived in Florida, right in our community, there was a lawyer who had been cheating people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, once he knew that he was, this was about to all be exposed, 
he drove out to the airport and took his life. I remember when I worked at a store in town while I was in seminary, <clears throat> there was a man that used to work with me who was my manager. And he loved, he knew I was studying to be a pastor, and he loved to take God's name in front of me because he, he thought that it would irritate me and he would use our Lord's name in a very negative way frequently right in front of me kind of to get my goat. And one day he said to me, that really bugs you, doesn't it? And I was so sick of this, I finally said to him, I'm not the one you need to worry about. And you could see how his face changed. Just flipping that spotlight back on himself rather than on anything else, suddenly he walked away and had a, a little bit different perspective. This happens to us when we realize things we've done wrong, when we think back on things in our life or ways that we've strayed from God, sometimes over and over and over again. When we think about what other people would think of us if they knew some of the garbage that we've done in our lives. When that spotlight of the law shines back on us with, with that pure justice, something needs to be done about this. That can be kind of a crushing thought at times. Now in the story before us, uh, Jesus here stands in a secular court in front of this Roman governor, Pilate, and what's acting out in front of us is a Jewish custom that would take place during the Passover. As a way of kind of reflecting or showing, the, reminding the, the Jewish people of how God had freed them from their slavery in Egypt, they had a custom that every year um, someone would release one of the prisoners that had been, had been taken into custody. And we now have this man, Barabbas, introduced to us. Barabbas. And we don't know anything about him. We don't really know much about his crime other than he'd been involved in an insurrection. There's a historian from the time of Jesus by the name of Josephus who writes about a Roman insurrection, that, a revolt that had to be put down and there were people murdered and killed during it. Uh, people often assume that he was probably part of all of that. So here is this wickedly evil man, but what a strange paradox we have in front of us. Here, here Pilate puts in front of us uh, two characters, if you will, one who is absolutely pure and sinless all the way to his core and being, all the way back inside of the womb of his mother without any guilt or sin. And this other man who is about, was actually um, uh, rightly tried by the court to be put to death and waiting for that to happen. And Pilate now puts these two in front of us. They couldn't be in completely different categories and now puts before the people a choice as to which one was to be released. And by doing this, by, by telling us of this little incident that maybe only took three minutes to happen, by telling us of this story, God is putting in front of you and me a visual for us to identify about what takes place with us before him, before his throne in heaven. Think, think about it, this little incident that, like I said, maybe just took a matter of a few minutes, all four of the gospel writers bring it up and write about it. It's a significant event. It really had nothing to do or wouldn't change anything as far as the course of Jesus going to die on the cross. In that sense, somebody could argue that it really didn't play into his passion history from, from his perspective at all. So why did God the Holy Spirit make sure to include this to be read in our Lenten services all the time every year? It's for you and for me. As a visual picture, it's as if God 
in, in, if you will, for just a moment, think of Jesus and Barabbas like two actors who have been put on a stage to visually depict to you and me what takes place when Christ dies on the cross for us. It's visually depicting what Isaiah says about Jesus. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That God chooses here to take someone who's completely sinless and lift off of you all the stuff that in your mind and heart, just like mine, would cause us to say to ourselves, something needs to be done about what I've done in my life. God picks all of that up and dumps it on the one sinless person that's ever lived in all of human history. Now, here's what's interesting. In kind of a strange twist, God is sort of like Pilate in this situation. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Pilate knew that Christ is absolutely pure and innocent of any crime. You can tell that by what he says in our text. But the very law that he selects to put in front of the people to determine what should happen to Jesus or Barabbas, the very law that Pilate selects now will end up putting the blame onto Christ, the sinless one. And he can't get out of it. Pilate can't get out of it. His justice requires that he has to do what he, the law that he used. Okay? The law that he picks has to now condemn this sinless one. And that's a picture of God, our Heavenly Father, in this very scene. Okay? You and I know what we deserve. Look at your life. Look at my life. Think of what our consciences are like. Think of the stuff that we know inside of us something has to be done about this. And yet God has chosen instead to put that all on his son instead. Now, back to Pilate. Pilate cannot get out of the situation. The law that he picks to use in this circumstance requires that he lets Barabbas go. He is allowed to walk. The same is true with God our Heavenly Father. The very law that he has selected to use in your eternal trial as to whether or not you should be allowed into heaven. The very law that he has chosen to use now requires him to let you walk. What, what gets you into heaven and saves you before the throne of God is not just the merciful, loving, compassionate heart of God. It's also the fact that he is a just God who can't lie. He is a God of justice. And his justice demands that you not be condemned for your sin. Why? Because Christ has already been condemned of that. Now, right now in your heart and mind, my, just like in mine, there, there may be a, a, a thing that, that makes us wonder about, well, what about certain things that I've done in my life? What about those really bad sins that I've done? What about that stuff I just can't seem to get rid of? It just comes back over and over again. What about those someday on Judgment Day? Well, God wants you to look at this story with Barabbas and to realize he is not allowed to condemn you for that. He's not allowed to crush you to hell for that because someone has already died for it. Something needs to be done about that, yeah? Something has been done about that. So, he wants you to know that you're free to go. 
You are Barabbas. Walk down into the crowd. Go back to your life. You are free to go. Why has he done that? Not just so you could come to heaven someday, but in order that you might be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Praise be to him not only for his mercy, but also for his justice. Amen.
is toward evening and the day is far spent. Abide with us and with your whole church. Abide with us in the end of the day, in the end of our life, and in the end of the world. Abide with us with your grace and goodness, with your holy word and sacrament, with your strength and blessing. Abide with us when the night of affliction and temptation comes upon us, the night of fear and despair when death shall come. Abide with us and with all the faithful through time and eternity. Amen.